Well, we are looking at life verses in the sermon series, and today we come to Robert Devon's life verse, which is Isaiah 40, 31. How long have you had this verse, Robert? Um, really, I thought about it more and, um, as I graduated high school. Um, it really resonated with me. So you've had it for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I remember your motorcycle license plate said IS4031. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, what attracted you to this verse? Um, what attracted me was um, uh, the anxiety and mistrust that I had that uh, uh, things would work out, uh, questions that I had in my life. Um, and stemming from way back before then, you know, just wondering um, what do I do in school? Where am I going to go? Uh, what groups am I going to hang out with? What career am I going to choose? College to choose? Mm -hmm. um, girlfriends? What girlfriends? Um, and, then, and then after that, marriage. Just not really knowing. And um, so I wasn't super anxious. Like, um, I think I mentioned to you one kid that we had when we were youth counselors. Um, we'd go into a shop with the kids to buy a trinket or something, souvenir, and the f she'd hit the door, I'm buying this. And then the other kids would be wandering around the store looking to see what they want, and she'd hold on to this thing, I'm buying this. Said, well, why don't you look around? I want this. Every time, the first thing she hit when she hit the door, I didn't have that type of anxiety, but I had, um, I always wondered. And, um, and so the um, reading it through the years, it always struck me. It had a chord with me, but apparent, um, more so later in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to me that you picked this, this verse at a time of big decision making in your life because the teenage years and young adult years are those mm -hmm. big decisions that kind of set you on a path for a time and um, and you kind of present as a big and strong uh, man a person who you know can get whatever you want through your will or through your mm -hmm. force so um <laughs> I didn't tell him I was going to say that. I didn't know I was going to say that. It came out. Um, so to, to me, it's just interesting that a big, strong man would, a Have young insecurities. man, yeah, would, would pick that as a verse to hold on to. What part of that verse in particular do you think uh, attracted you? Um, I think, well, especially during football training. Mm -hmm. Oh, this would go through my head when we'd be working out in the heat that the Lord was my strength and he would raise me up and, mm -hmm. and um, uh, he was a, my source. Um, but uh, I think the part before that um, where it says, um, um, do you not know, have you not heard? Mm -hmm. And um, that really, um, I would really cling to that, mm -hmm. that God was going to get me through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the weight part? Because you talked to me about the weight part. Oh, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't like waiting. I still don't like waiting, and I get a little um, uh, impatient. Mm -hmm. 
And, and you, you remember that part, yes, right? Yes, I remember yeah, that yeah, part. Yeah. So um, more so in some things than other things, I get impatient. And so um, that was that struck me about waiting on the Lord and, and um, um, looking for his wisdom and direction and that he would raise me up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I remember being tired as a young adult. My first year in college, I remember discovering the necessity of sleep, the loveliness, the value of a nap. And I remember realizing, so naps aren't just punishment. That was a novel thought. So this is what adults do, and this is why they do it. My bed for the first time in my life was my friend. I remember being tired in the tired, that kind of tired, tired in the mothering season of my life when my children were babies and on through their toddlerhood. I see tired, tired moms and dads and my heart goes out to them because there is no stop, there's no off hours. I remember longing for one night of undisturbed sleep. And that's a, a different level of tiredness. I'm not looking forward to the level of tiredness that comes to our elders, the lack of energy, the need for a rest between activities. This kind of tiredness takes some getting used to and a new submission is demanded by the body which does not function the way the body used to before. And there are many other kinds of tiredness. There's emotional as well as physical tiredness. There's spiritual tiredness. That's a very real thing too. Uh, think about something that makes you so, so tired. Can, can you say that out loud? Something that makes you so, so tired. Teenagers? That's the dad of teenagers, yes, speaking. Yes. Colby, what makes you so tired? Parents. We needed that voice because parents are so tiring, so tiring. Anybody else want to share? No? What? Long sermons. This is going to be especially tiring for you, Pastor George. Worry? There's all types. Work, tiredness. School, school, you're in the dissertation phase. Heat, absolutely. Oh, it's going to be a summer. Finances, yeah. Customer service, yes. If you're tired, if you're feeling weak or powerless over your circumstances, you are in the right place to receive from the only unfailing source of power and strength, the everlasting God of all creation. Uh, we are in this sermon series entitled My Life Verse, and what we're saying in this sermon series is that God's word is valuable. God's word is life-changing. We don't take it uh, lightly. 
We take it seriously. We want to put it into our heart and we want to work it out practically in our lives. And today's passage comes from Isaiah 40. Uh, Robert focused on the end of it, which we're going to get to, but before that, I wanted to start a little earlier for context. So, Isaiah 40, verse 1 says, Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. And just by this first verse, we know that my people are God's people and that they are people in distress. Because people who are in a good and plentiful and fruitful season of life do not need comforting. People who are grieving need comforting. People who have lost, people who are struggling need comfort. People who fear, who don't feel safe, who can't see the future that they need ahead, those people need comforting. And people who feel that God has abandoned them need comfort from God himself. So already in this first verse, we see that comforting his people is on God's heart and in his will. It's wonderful to have a God of all comfort. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Oh, oh, this fleshes out the misery that the people have been enduring. God's people need comfort because they have been paying a stiff penalty for their own sins. And in fact, the background to this chapter is uh, references the Babylonian captivity, the destruction of Judah in 587 BC, and the subsequent exile of all the Israelites. They were marched and taken captives to live in Babylon. And they've been living as a captive minority for about 50 years by this time. Oppressed foreigners have very little security and even less civil rights. The older people to whom Isaiah was, running, or was writing had memories of that march, that forced march to Babylon. Vivid memories of leaving their own country. The youngers had heard those stories. We have a word for those kinds of memories. PTSD, I guess that's four words. The exiles had lived through a severe and traumatic effect that affected, uh, event that affected them personally and socially and deeply and psychologically. And now, of course, we know that you don't just heal from trauma just with the passage of time. Now we know that trauma changes the DNA so that it's handed down to the next generations and it affects the next generations who didn't even live through the trauma personally themselves. The prophet Isaiah is giving a message from the Lord who, who to these people to convince them, them who had suffered under stressful conditions for 50 years, that the God who had judged them for their sins was now going to act on their behalf. That God had heard their groans and their cries and that the one who had sent them out in disgrace was now going to bring them home and comfort them. The, the prophet had a big challenge on his hands. 
Could they hear when they were tired and beat down? Did they have the capacity? When PTSD had reconfigured their mind and their reactions and their psyche, could they hear God's words of hope? And even more, could they believe it? This is, of course, the same challenge we experience when we're in a hard patch and we ourselves need comfort. When it's been hard for too long, when change is slow to come, can we hear God's word of comfort? Can we believe it? Verse 3, a voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The wilderness, the wilderness is that place of desolation where nothing grows, the place of destructions, aftermath. And yet miraculously in this wilderness, as this voice is crying out, verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The wilderness is where these people have been for 50 years. The wilderness is where God's voice goes silent, where there is no growth, no blessing. But now that place of judgment is to become unrecognizable. God has spoken, producing massive reversal and upheaval of all the forces of nature. Symbolically, a way back to God erupts in the very desert where there had been no way before. I don't know if you know how thrilling this is. God's decision is to set his highway in the desert that has been a place of suffering you don't have to get to the highway, get yourself out of the desert. God places his highway there. And after such a long time in the wilderness, the time has come for renewal and the glory of God will be revealed. Verse six, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. Okay, so it kind of takes a little bit of a downturn there. After the revelation of the glory of God to be reminded of our lifespan, of our mortality, it's a reality check in the middle of the prophecy. And this is a difficult truth. Someone said of these verses that at the convergence of the new word of hope and the old word of judgment, there is a discouraging word right there. When God decides to do a new thing in a dramatic way, there is resistance at the highest level. And have we ever experienced this? When we like the old dysfunction because it's comfortable and change is hard, or when systems of oppression kick back when progress has been made, the force of this resistance to God's new creation, to his recreation, can be felt throughout all of creation. 
And we can feel it at times as a force within the marrow of our bones. We know it's larger than us, this resistance to God's redemptive plan that I'm talking about. And it demands our cooperation. And it can only be halted at the highest level. God comes to do a new thing and a battle must be fought. Remember when the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, and then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. A battle must be fought, and the evil one must be acknowledged as a word that must be faced. But we better know which word will win that battle. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother ship. Well, the prophet Isaiah surely read Psalm 23. The tender, loving care of our shepherd who carried the tired lambs in his bosom. They could hear his heartbeat. They were that close. Stirring, hope-filled words. Do we hear God today? Or are we like a comedian that I heard last week? I don't even remember who it was. And he said, I don't even care what President Obama said, said <clears throat> I don't recommend hope. It never works out. There is a disappointed man. And disappointment with God is real as well. But God's word of renewal and transformation is also real, and it stands the test of time. It's as true for us today as it was on the day when it was written. And then the chapter kind of takes off in a very Jobian way. The next verses sound like the answer from God to Job in the midst of his suffering, when he complains about his suffering, and I'll let you read those on your own, but we'll pick up in verse 25. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Well, what, who created what? We lift up our eyes, we see the ceiling, the lights. The, the prophet is talking about being out in the dark at night and seeing the stars. He who brings out their hosts, this is the stars, and numbers them, think of how many gajillion stars there are, be, numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. The Holy One is the creator, great in strength, mighty in power, who knows and names each star. So therefore, verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? They'd been saying, God doesn't even see me. 
God doesn't care about me. This is abandonment language that people in suffering use when they feel that God doesn't see them. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. <clears throat> Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. What? What was happening to these exiles is that 48 years after their exile to Babylon, another world power was ascending. The Persian Empire was on the rise. And when King Cyrus the Great came to conquer Babylon, he would let all the exiled Israelites return home to Jerusalem. This is what the prophet Isaiah was foretelling. God's promised restoration is on the horizon of fulfillment, and if they would just shade their eyes and look into the future, they could see it with the eyes of hope, with the eyes of faith. Their long, hard, painful exile would soon be over. The liberation would soon come. Is there any equal to the Holy One of Israel? So let's look a little closer at who God is in verses 28 and 29, because if we really get verse 28, if we understand verse 29, then the wonderful promise of this passage is a sure thing that we can rest our hope on. Verses 28 and 29, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. The Lord, the word there is Yahweh, the name of God that he gave to his people at the exodus, at the burning bush with Moses. Yahweh is the everlasting God. The word God there is Elohim. It's kind of a generic word for God. And God is everlasting. In the realm of time, God is everlasting. God is unlimited in both directions. Backwards in the past and forwards to the future. God is eternal, everlasting. God reigns over time. And the next realm is the realm of space. In the realm of space, God is the creator of the ends of the earth. And therefore, backwards and forwards, again, all that has existed, all that will exist as far as our eye can see and beyond, all comes from the creator who is above his creation. God reigns over space. And the final realm that is mentioned in those three verses is the realm of force or of power. And in this realm, God is described as the giver the giver of strength, the giver of force. Those explorations of time and space and power, God is over all of them. And therefore, what he wills in those realms is what will come to pass. So if God says he will give strength, do we doubt that it is in his ability to give strength, he who is over the realm of force and power? 
And the verse says he gives strength to whom? Who can receive his power? The weary, the weak, the faint, the powerless. I want you to think through all areas of your life where you are faint and powerless. The areas where you don't control what happens to you. And even maybe the areas where you can't control yourself. You can't self-improve yourself enough, much as you try to power through. There are some, also some earthly forces that are arrayed against us. Very powerful. Think about some of those entrenched systems, some of the powerful political forces, and think about the stew of hatred and bitterness and division in society that we have been living in. And think about the impregnable force of racism and prejudice. Or think about someone close to you, who, someone who may have some power over you in a relationship or at work or at school. We bump up against power in all seasons of life. But do you doubt that God's power is greater? He can certainly break them. Do you doubt that he will, though? See, that's, that's where the rub comes. That's the, where the tension lays. So I'm going to put up verse 28 and 29 together again. There is in these verses such an elaborate interweaving of the words. It's so poetic of the words faint, weary, powerless, exhaustion versus strength and power. It continues continues two verse, into the next two verses as well. But the one phrase in those verses that does not fit, I don't know if you see that one phrase that doesn't fit in those verses. They're crisscrossing words, and they're in poetry, you can even see the X's going to the words so beautifully, and there's one phrase that doesn't fit with the others, and it's the words, his understanding is unsearchable. That's the one. It doesn't fit the pattern. But it's the key to the whole, the answer to the questions that come from our sense of abandonment. God's understanding is unsearchable. So this opens up a new realm for us, a realm of hope and faith, into which God invites us to the place ourselves in faith and in hope and in not understanding the ways of God knowing the inscrutability of God, not understanding the timing of God, but there in a place where we can trust that the one who is over all lifts us up. Because those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Because strength that comes from muscle mass, strength that comes from political capital, Strength that comes from wealth, strength that comes from position is temporary. And eventually that strength will be depleted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their supply from God's everlasting supply.
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now think about a big bird with a mighty wingspan. And when they put those wings out, when they unfold their wings, they're going to take off and they are going to soar. Honestly, whenever I read this passage, I think, always think of myself as more of a turkey than an eagle. That's about how much lift and wingspan I can manage on a good day. But listen to the promise and take hold of the promise. Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Oh, you athletes among us, the feel of running like the wind, that you have had that feeling of running like the wind. I've heard about it. I'm just saying. I heard there was a feeling like that. And I and you are going to experience that some glorious day as we have never before experienced it. The running and not being weary that comes from waiting on the Lord. They shall walk and not faint. Our elders, I feel this is for you. You will walk and not faint. And I'm sure that the little Hebrew footnote in the text that is lost to us said something about walkers and canes. Something was in there about walking and not fainting. This passage is not for the young and powerful if they're in a place where they don't think they need strength, where they think their strength is sufficient, they'll find out soon enough that it is not. God gives his power, his strength away to the faint, to the powerless, to the old, to the broken, to the limping, to the fainting, to the people in the wilderness, to those who are just barely holding on. God gives his promise to ordinary us, God gives his promise to Altadena Baptist Church, our body together, when we are limping and fainting. God gives his biggest promise to those who wait on the Lord. So let's bow our heads together. And Lord, we just want to confess that waiting is so very long. How long? That's a question that always comes to my mind. How long is this going to be waiting on you? So, Lord, we ask you to give us patience, to give us the eyes of faith, to look at the deliverance on the horizon, to give us hope that when you change something, it's a radical transformation, that you would give us a sense that green will grow in the desert we see now, a sense of the way that you will make to take us, to bring us to yourself. Where there is no way, you will make a way to yourself. For we want to see nothing short of your glory. We want an inside-out transformation. We ask for the hard places, the crooked places, the rough places to be made smooth in our hearts, in our relationships, in our church, and that this path, no, this highway that you build may lead us all to you together. Lift us up on wings like eagles. In your name we pray, amen.